Let me pray, and we're going to dive in to our message. Jesus, this is your word, and I pray that you would um, change us through your word. Uh, let your Holy Spirit move in and through this place and give us conviction where we need conviction. Give us encouragement where we need encouragement and put us on your path today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Now, um, I, I want to start off today and tell you about a toy that I wanted when I was a kid, right? There was one particular toy that one particular was the toy for me. And it's the one that I really, really wanted. And it was shaped like an oval. And it was a, probably about eight inches by like six inches, right? So it's this oval and it was full of blue and white sand. And it was called the Magic Window. That's a picture I found on eBay. Um, uh, if anybody wants to help me relive my childhood memories and you've got a lot of money laying around, uh, it's actually worth something now. But anybody remember that thing? Yeah. Yeah. Right? We've just aged ourselves. But yes, well, here's the deal. That was the thing that I wanted. And Christmas morning came and went. And guess what was not under the Christmas tree? The magic window wasn't. A few weeks went by, maybe months, I can't remember. I was a kid, it seems like years went by, but it didn't. And we're in the living room, and my mom goes, Fred, what's that under the couch? I see something under the couch, what is that? So I look under the couch, and guess what it is? A magic window was under the couch. Now my mom told me Santa must have dropped it, right? Uh, when when he, he, he delivered the presents, and that's why it was there, only later out that there was a run on those things, like Cabbage Patch Dolls in the 80s, like, like Tickle Me Elmo in the 90s, like nobody could get one of those at Christmas, which is why I didn't have it. So, so you can imagine how excited I was to have this magic window. And do you know what I did? For three days, I played with that thing nonstop, just mesmerized me, turning it, must have delighted my parents. Right? That I had something to mesmerize me. I was a pretty active kid. You know what I did three days later? I put it on the shelf and never played with it again. Right? At least not very much. So, so I forgot all about it, which I think actually is one of the plots of one of the Toy Story movies, isn't it? Like, like I forgot all about it. Right? And I think it's one of the plots of the Toy Story movies because we all do that, right? We probably, we probably all have a toy that we wanted as a kid that eventually we just stopped playing with. At least, at least I hope that's not just my experience, right? And so let me ask you, have you ever had something that you wanted so badly and you got it and then forgot about it and then left it on a shelf, right? Has, has any, I'm curious what, what that thing was. What is, that, what is that thing, what is that something that you wanted so badly that ended up sitting on a shelf? So if you're watching online, leave a comment. If you're here in person, like, really, I want to know. Even if it's embarrassing, like, I can't tell you how many guitars have sat in the corner of rooms uh, instead of learning to be played, right? Everybody has this idea of being on stage, like, uh, like whoever it is that, that you want to be like, and then that thing just sits in the corner. What was some of the things that you've wanted and you got and then... It sat on the stage. What is it? Exercise equipment. We, yes. Anybody got an amen? Right? We had one, and those things make 
great closets. I can't tell you how many hangers we, we had lined up on that thing, right? What else? Give me one more. What? A, you had a dulcimer? No, that's my wife. I didn't know you had a dulcimer. Oh, that's, see, marriage. You're always learning each other, aren't you? This is, this is great. This is great. You see, here's the deal that we have a tendency to forget, don't we? We, we, we all do. And what we're going to see today in Nehemiah is just that. It's going to be something that's familiar with all of us. And what we're going to see is we're going to see God make a covenant, which is like a promise from God to his people. And we're going to see God establish that covenant with the people of Israel. And then we're going to see God fulfill that promise. And then we're going to see Israel's response to that. Right? We're going to see the nation's response to that. And I think what we're going to see in this chapter is true of all of our lives. Because here's what I think that we're going to see. We're going to see that we all tend to forget God's promises. We just do. We, we, we tend to forget them, but we're also going to see that when we remember God's promises, we're going to see remembering God's promises actually helps us to live in God's presence, right? We all have this tendency to forget them, but when we remember God's promise, it helps us to live in God's presence. So say that with me. Say the last part. When we remember God's promises, it helps us to what? To live in God's presence. Right, so let me show you what I mean. Now, before we go to Nehemiah, I saw some of you had your Bibles out. You're already there. Going to twist it up a little bit, and we're going to go to Genesis to start off with. Because here's why. We need to see this promise of God before we go to Nehemiah. And so, so turn with me to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3 is what we're going to start off with. So Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, it says this. It says, now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and show you in in your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, So here's what we see in this promise. We see um, this, this simple promise between Abraham and God, right? So, so this is God talking to Abraham, whose name, by the way, at this point is Abram, right? There's, there's this, this point in his life where he yields his life to this God that's called him. And, and what God does is he changes his name. And what's interesting is, is when God changes his name from Abram to Abraham, is he puts this, this breath in Abraham's name. And the word for God is the same word for breath. And so, so as he yields his life to God, God gives Abraham his presence. And that's shown in his name from Abram to Abraham, right? Well, this is when he's still Abram. And God shows him this, pre- the, the, this promise in Genesis 12 of land, seed, and blessing. Because here's what you see. You see God promise Abraham a specific piece of real estate. That's land, Right? You also see this this seed of promise that Abraham's descendants are going to be great and that Abraham's descendants are going to do great things. One, Paul even takes this promise and says that actually that word seed is singular. And so the promise is that there's going to be one of your descendants that does something incredible. 
right? And so there's this promise. And then, and then there's this promise of blessing. As, as Abraham is blessed, he is to be a blessing to the whole world. If you notice, it says, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families. So it's land and seed and blessing. That's this, that's this promise. Well, now watch this. Uh, look at the next page, Genesis 13, verses 14 through 17. And we see this promise step into reality a little bit, right? And this other, another conversation between God and Abram. It says, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from them, Lift up your eyes and look to the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise and, and rock through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So now here's what's happened. In Genesis 12, God promises Abram that he will come to this land. And in Genesis 13, he's there. He can, he can walk the land. He can touch the grass of this land like, like he's physically there. And so now this promise of land is a little bit clear, but we also see this promise of seed, that he will have many descendants, as many as the, as the dust of the earth. But look at these verses, because what happens next with this promise is this interesting ceremony that happens when a covenant is established. And y'all, this is going to get a little weird, all right? So bear with me, and, and, and I'll explain it. Turn to Genesis 15, verse 1. Right? Verse 1 says this. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield, and your, your reward shall be very great. Right? So, so there's this idea of blessing again. You will have this great reward. Now, why was Abram to get that great reward? What is he to do with it? Keep it? Hoard it? Get powerful with it? No. It was to bless all the families of the earth. Right? Let's keep reading. It says, But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For, for I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, but remember, uh, but a, a, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. So Abraham hears this promise of blessing, but what he does is he doubts. He's like, God, how can that be? How can I have all these descendants? How can I have this great reward? I don't even have a kid to call my own. How can I have descendants if I don't have a kid? Everything that you promised me is going to go to someone else. Now look at how God responds to Abram's doubt. Now, this is important because how many of us have doubted our faith, right? How many of you have questioned, gosh, are God's promises really true? They may be true for somebody else, but are they true for me? Well, look at how, look at how God responds to, to Abram's doubt. He says, and he brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans and gave you this land to possess. 
But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, bring me a heifer. This is where it gets weird, y'all. He said, bring me a heifer three years old and a female goat three years old and a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these and cut them in half and laid each half over against the other one. But he did not cut, uh, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And so, so, so here's what happens, right? Abram doubts. And God says, look to the stars. Look to the sky. It's, 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 as much as you can count those, that'll be your descendants. In other words, too much to count. Like, have y'all ever been outside when you're in a no light situation and you see all the stars? That's what Abram saw. And for him to hear God say, that's going to be your descendants, was this great promise. And, and, and Abraham believed. Abram believed. And we see that. And so then what God does next is he says, okay, let's mark this covenant. And what they did was this, this ceremony that was common then. It looks pretty gruesome to us. I imagine it is pretty gruesome. But what you would do is you would take these animals and you would cut them in half if you were making a covenant with someone. And a covenant with someone is between you and them and you're pulling God into the covenant to, to, to ratify the covenant. And this one in particular was pretty weird because you had these animals cut in half and you would walk through the, through the cut up animals together. You and the person you were making this covenant with. Because the idea was, is that whoever broke the covenant, whoever didn't do what you agreed to do, would become like these animals and be killed and be broken. So if you broke the covenant, you would be broken. And what God is doing is he's saying, hey, there's this little ceremony that y'all do. Let's do that just so that you will believe me. And we'll walk through this together and if and if you don't keep your end, you'll be broken. If I don't keep my end, I'll be broken. Abraham understands this, and he understands this covenant. He says, that sounds great. So Abraham gets it all set up. But watch this in verse 12. It says, and as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And so, so, so what God does here is he says, listen, Abram, and he's speaking this to him as he's asleep, right? And so he's speaking in this dream. He's speaking in this vision to Abraham. And he says, there's going to be a time where you and your descendants think that I'm not fulfilling this promise, right? Because you're going to be taken out of this land. And you're going to be held captive for 400 years. And you're going to be slaves in that land. But hold on. Because I'm going to redeem you out of that land. And you're going to leave that land with great possessions. And you're going to come back to this land. And so God is saying, Abram, you will doubt. But God will do what he said he's going to do. Now remember, God and Abram were supposed to go through this covenant together, right? Now where is Abram right now? He's sound asleep, right? He is sound asleep. So, so, so look at what God does in verse 17. He says, and when the sun had gone down and it was dark, 
Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the pieces. And so what God does is he takes the form of this fire in this pot and he goes through the ceremony by himself. Right? Abram's asleep. And so what was supposed to happen, remember, is that both of them were going to go through because if either one of them broke the covenant, they would be broken. But what God is doing is he's saying, Abram, sweet child, I know you're going to break this covenant. Like that's Genesis, the beginning of Genesis shows us that, that we are human, right? And we're going to make mistakes, we're going to fail, and we're going to sin. And God doesn't expect Abram to be perfect. He expects him to be human. And so what God does is he's showing Abram just how faithful he is. And God goes through it together. I mean, God goes through it alone, right? By himself. Just to show Abraham, listen, you're going to break and I don't want you broken. I'm not going to break this. And I won't be broken. And so I'm going to go through this by myself to show you you can trust me, to show you when you doubt I will fulfill my promise. Just hold on. Just hold on. I will fulfill the promise. You see, what God is showing is that he is faithful. And as he does this, he, he repeats the covenant too. Look at verse 18 real quick. He says, And on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I will give this land, and from the river, uh, the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kizites, the the Kedmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. He repeats the covenant and says, this is going to be your land. And so the promise that he gave the nation of Israel to bring them into a land and to make them a great nation and to bless the nation so that they could bless others, that's what he does. Now with that promise in mind, now turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 9. Right? And all this will make sense now with Nehemiah chapter 9. So go ahead and turn there. Right. So as you're there, like this chapter in Nehemiah shows how that promise played out throughout history. Right? And, and here's what I hope that we see as our work our way through this chapter. I hope we see that when we, when, we, when we live in the midst of God's promises, waiting for them to be filled, be fulfilled, there's actually life there. And there's life because that's the place that we can doubt, right? Because, because the nation of Israel had a very clear promise from God of land, seed, and blessing. And we're going to see as history unfolds that they continue to doubt. And when they doubted, they forgot God's promises. And when they forget God's promises, they sin. Now, here's why this is important. We have promises from God, too. Right? Jesus said that he was going to return one day. We have that promise. Jesus said that as we make disciple-making disciples, that he is with us every step of the way. And we have that promise from Jesus. Now, have there been times in your life where you've wondered if that's true? Have there been times in your life where you wondered if Jesus is actually walking with you because it sure does seem like you're all alone? Those are when we doubt. That's why we need this today, because we need to see Jesus is our faithful God who fulfills his promises. And so Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 1 says this. 
It says, now uh, on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were, disem- were assembled with fasting and sackcloth, uh, with, with earth on their heads, with, with ashes and dirt on their heads. Now, if you remember, uh, last week, the, n- the nation celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles, which was the celebration of, of God's presence with them and God's forgiveness and God's deliverance and all this. Well, what we're about to see now is that, is that the next thing that they celebrated was called a solemn assembly, right? And look at verse 2. It says, and the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and iniquities with their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, uh, the Lord their God, for a quarter of the day. And for another quarter of the day, they made confession and they worshiped the Lord their God. And on the stairs of the Levites stood a few guys. We'll just leave their names at that. And they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. And then the Levites, there's some more names, um, uh, said, Stand up and bless the Lord, your God, from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. And so, so what we're doing is we're getting this glimpse into a worship service that's happening with this, with this nation. And what we see is that they read God's word out loud and there is this response of, of confession of, and then there is this response of praise and worship. And what we're going to see next is that as they read God's word out loud, there's going to be this history lesson. And this history lesson involves the promise that we went through. We're going to see the promise from God to Abram and the nation's response. And what you're going to see is when the, when the nation remembered the promises of God, when they remembered the faithfulness of God, they experienced life with God, right? So let's look at verse 6. Chapter 9, verse 6 says this. It says, you are the Lord, you alone. You have made the, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worship you. Now listen, when I talk about, when I talk about uh, the heavens being created and the earth being created, what book of the Bible does that remind you of? Genesis, right? It's Genesis. And look at this in verse, in verse 7. It says this. It says, you are, the Lord, the, you are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give uh, his offspring the land of the Canaanite, Hittite, Amorite, Prezite, Jebusite, Girgashite, and you have kept your promise for you are righteous. Right? And so, so here the nation sees that in Genesis, God not only created the world, he made this covenant with Abraham. He made this promise with Abraham. And it says that, that, that God kept it. Now, here's what, here's what we have to keep in mind. Because this promise of land, this nation that's reading that history, this nation that's reading that promise, guess where they're standing? They're standing in the land that God had promised. They're looking at a temple that they've rebuilt. They're looking at a wall and a gate that they've rebuilt. And they can see the promise is actually fulfilled. That that God is faithful to his promise. He gave it way back in Genesis and he kept it for them. This is thousands of years after that promise. And so in Genesis we see this. In Genesis we see that God is the keeper of his promise. Right? That's what they said. You kept 
your promise. In Genesis, God is the keeper of his promise. So let's, let's see, because the history doesn't stop here. Look at verse 9. It says, And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea. What book does this sound like? Exodus, right? And performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all of his servants and the people of this land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And so, so here we see what's, what God's going to be like for them in Exodus. In Genesis, he was the keeper of the promise. Look at what they say he did in Exodus. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you, you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into the mighty waters. And by a pillar of cloud you led them by day and a pillar of fire in the night for them in a, in a way in which they should go. And you came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses, your servant. And you gave them bread from heaven and for their hunger and brought them water out for a, from a rock for their thirst. And you told them to go and possess the land that you had sworn to give them. And so in Genesis, we see that, that God is the keeper of the promise. But in Exodus, he is the provider of the promise. Right? He provided safety for them. He got rid of the Egyptian army. He provided protection for them. He provided direction for them by, by a pillar of smoke by day and fire by night. Uh, God gave them food and water. In Exodus, he provided everything they needed to live in that promise as they, as they left Egypt and headed toward the promised land. He provided anything and everything they needed. He, he gave them. And what does the nation do with this? Same thing we do. They they forgot. They forgot that God was the keeper. They forgot that God was the provider. Look at verse 16. And they, and they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. And they refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. So they forgot. Right In the midst of all this, in the midst of God keeping his promise and providing for his promise, they forgot. And they disobey because they forget. They, they picked another leader besides Moses. Moses is going to take us there. We want somebody who's going to take us where we want to go. And we want to go back to Egypt because they said, oh, remember the leeks and onions there. Oh, so good. The slavery they forgot about. But the onions, the onions were good. That's what forgetting God's promises does. It distorts reality. Right? You see, their forgetting led to disobedience. And if remembering God's promise helps us to live in God's presence, guess what forgetting does? Forgetting God's promises helps us to ignore God's presence. It's not that it's not there. It's not that he's not there. It's just that we ignore it. We act like he's not. You see, when we think God isn't keeping his promises or providing for the midst of us as we wait for those promises to be fulfilled, it's easy for you and me to take matters into our own hands, isn't it? That's where we begin to control. That's where we begin to manipulate things. The things that we can't control, like people or circumstances, we, we live under the distorted reality that we can't, right? And we work really hard to do that because we want someone to take us where we want to go instead of following where God wants us to go. It's when we forget God's promises. 
And see, and that's not what God desires of his people. It's not what God desires of his people to find life. And so, 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 so look, uh, so what do we do? Well, let's keep reading to find out what do we do when we forget God's promises. Verse 17, the rest of verse 17 says this. It says, but you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And you did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, This is your God who brought you out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies. And so they look at at what they did historically. And not only did they pick a leader, they made a God that would do what they wanted to do. And they said, This is who brought us out of Egypt. Not that God that Moses is talking to up on the mountain. You see, this is the book of Numbers. And in Genesis, he's the keeper of the promise. In Exodus, he's the provider of the promise. We'll look at what he is in the book of Numbers. Verse 19 says this. It says, You and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in a way did not depart from them day by day, or no, the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way in which you should go. In other words, God's presence stayed with them. In the midst of their doubt and sin. You gave them good spirit. You gave them your good spirit to instruct them. And did not withhold your manna from their mouth. And gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. And they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not even wear out. And their feet did not swell. Y'all, my feet swell if I have too much salt. Right? With what I'm eating. Right? For 40 years, their clothes didn't wear out. Their feet didn't swell. And God continued to provide for them. And so in Numbers, we see that God is the sustainer of the promise. Now, the difference between provider and sustainer, provider gives you what you need. Sustainer continues to give you what you need. Right? And he sustained the nation in the midst of this promise. He's the one that continued to give them life. Even as they were disobeying, even as they were forgetting, God stayed faithful. And he gave them life as they waited. Look at verse 22. Y'all, we're getting our Bible in this week, aren't we? Verse 22. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner so that, so that they took possession of the land of Shinon, the king of Heshbon, and, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. And you multiplied their children as the stars of heaven, just like God said he would. Right? And you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. And so the descendants went in and possessed the land. And you subdued them before the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand and with their kings and peoples of the land, that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities and the rich land and took possession of houses full of good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and and fruit trees in abundance. And so they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted in themselves in great goodness. Right? And so this is the the book of Joshua as, as they enter the land. And here we see that God fulfills his promise. And Joshua, God is the fulfiller of God's promise. Everything that God promised, they got to experience. Right? He kept the promise. He provided the promise. He sustained them. And in here we see that he fulfills the promise. Now, guess what the nation does after all of this? I give you three guesses and the first two don't count. They forget. They forget the faithfulness of God. Look at verse 26. Nevertheless, 
they were disobedient and rebelled against you. And cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest and did evil again before you and you abandoned them in the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. This is the book of Judges, Kings, and Chronicles, where you see this, this, this cycle of the nation uh, having faith in God, and then they turn to do what was right in their own eyes. And when they do, God sends, God sends armies, God sends enemies to, to oppress the nation, to bring them back to a place of repentance and faith. And they do, and then they forget again and do what was right in their own eyes. And it's this, it's this circle of sin and repentance. And look at verse 29. And you warned them in order to turn them back to your law, yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which, if a person does them, he shall, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck, and they would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they did not give ear, and therefore you gave them into the hands of the people of the land." Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. And so here we go from Judges to Kings and Chronicles, where, where you see the nation driven out of their land again due to disobedience. And so, so, so that's how when they go to Babylon, if you remember where Ezra and Nehemiah were. And so it picks up in, this, in their history next. And so, so, so it leaves with them having this hope of returning back to the land. And so in Judges, Kings, and Chronicles, we see that God is the continual redeemer of his promise. Because it says that no matter how many times they disobeyed, no matter how many times... They forgot God's promises. God never forgot his promise to them. And he continued to draw them to himself, to have life in him, so that they could live in those promises that God gave them. Now, redeem means to buy back. Kids, students, if you ever get a gift card, it tells you how to redeem it, right? How to, how to make it useful. That's what God is, is he's the continual redeemer of the promise, the continual one to bring them back again and again and again. And so from beginning to end, Right? We see this, this promise that God made all the way back at the beginning. And in the, in the midst of waiting for that promise to be filled, fulfilled, and even after it's fulfilled, and they're still waiting, they continue to forget. And when they forget, they disobey. And when they forget the promises of God, they doubted the presence of God. And when they doubted the presence of God, they sinned against God. That's what happens when we forget. And that's why it sounds familiar, doesn't it? Now look at this, verse 32, now, right? So, so now as they read God's word, they're going to say, all right, y'all, let's talk about today, right? Let's turn on the news and see what they say. It says, now, therefore, our God, the great and mighty and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love, will not uh, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us. Upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people. Since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us. For you have dealt faithfully and we have acted what? 
wickedly. God, you have been faithful and we haven't. You've done all this for us and we have acted wrongly and we continue to act wrongly. They said, we know who you are and we know who we are. You are faithful and we are not. You see, they acknowledge that they have forgotten this promise and when they do, they sin. And when they live outside that promise, they live outside of the life that God had for them in this promise. And this is where, this is where they're really glad that only God went through those sacrificed animals. Right? Because if Abraham did, there'd be no hope for him. Because they broke the covenant. They haven't used the land. They haven't been a blessing to all the people around them. They haven't had faith in the God that kept the promise. They have broken it, but God went through it by himself. Look at what's next. It says, our kings and our princes, this is verse 34. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even in their own kingdom and amidst your great goodness that you gave them. In the, in the large and the rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn uh, from their wicked works. In other words, even living in the land of promise, in the midst of promise, they still forgot. We still forgot. And in their forgetting that all that God had done for them, living in it and seeing it, they forgot and disobeyed. Now look at the result in verse 36. Behold, we are slaves to this day. In the land that you gave our fathers to enjoy its fruits and its good gifts, behold, we are slaves. And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. And they rule over our bodies and now our livestock as they please and we are in great distress. And so what happens is they acknowledge when we forget, we sin. And our sin has consequences. And for them... Their sin made them slaves to a foreign nation, right? God gave them over to a foreign nation for the purpose of their repentance and confession. And this slavery of the nation of Israel continued all the way to Jesus' day. Jesus was born in a Jewish town that was under Roman rule. And they got so bad, his parents fled to Egypt to, to protect him, right? Like, like it's history kind of repeating itself and because, because they were slaves in their own land. And, and as Jesus did his ministry, he did it under Roman rule, right? Like, like he talked as he, as he talked and did ministry, he talked about paying taxes to Caesar. We see him heal Roman soldiers. Like they were a land still under, under oppression, right? Under the, 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 the nation of, of Rome, the nation of Israel was. And in the midst of that, Jesus spoke different words, right? Because he gave the promise of a new covenant. Listen, listen to this in Luke 22, right? Luke 22 says this. Well, let me find it. Luke 22 uh, verses 19. And you can turn there, you can just listen. It's a familiar passage. It's when they're having the Last Supper, right? And it says, And he took the bread, and we had given thanks. He broke it, and he gave it to them, being his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this is the cup that is poured out for you, is the new covenant of my blood. And so what Jesus is doing is is he is saying there is a promise that was given to Abraham. And we're going to call that the old covenant, a, a promise of land, seed, and blessing. But now Jesus says, guess what? I'm giving you a new covenant. I'm giving you a new promise from God. And that new promise from God is, is a fulfillment of the old covenant. And it is that, that life isn't found, right, in, 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 in going to the temple and doing the things. He's saying life is now found in me, in Jesus. Because my blood is poured out for you. My body is broken for you. And when you have faith in me and you believe in me, you get to experience life with God. New covenant. Here's what Jesus does that is going to sound very familiar. Instead of taking animals and separating them and God walking through it, Jesus becomes the sacrifice himself to show that we can touch him. And instead, instead of the the animals being separated, Jesus becomes that, that sacrifice to seal the covenant. And what did the disciples do? They ran, right? When Jesus died on that cross, they scattered until Jesus came out on the other side of the resurrection, right? And he passed through death to give us life, just like God did for Abraham, Jesus did for his disciples, Jesus did for you and me, and he passed through sacrifice to give us life in his promise, life in his covenant. You see, we aren't promised land, seed, and blessing. We are promised a relationship. Right? Jesus said the only way to life is through me. In Colossians 1, verse 21 through 23, I want to read this one to you too because I find it fascinating. Paul wrote these words. Colossians 1 verse 21 through 23. Paul says, in you, so that's us, that's the people reading this letter, you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, and he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now, here's what's interesting. ESV translates it this way. The NIV says it this way. And you were once alienated and and hostile against God in your own mind, is the way the NIV translates it. The ESV says in mind, which means this. You once didn't know God's promise. You once may have heard about God's promise, but you forgot it and you doubted. And when you do, you disobeyed. You were hostile and against God in your own mind. But even in the midst of that, Jesus died for you. And he sacrificed himself for you to have a good and right relationship with the God who loves you and the God who created you. So we can trust him because just like God was faithful to keep his promise all through that stuff, we could write our own history, couldn't we? 
about how God's promise has been true and good and we have forgotten and we have disobeyed and we have chosen our own leaders and we have chosen our own path and yet God stayed faithful the entire time. Jesus stayed faithful the entire time and continued to draw us back and continued to discipline us so that we would want to come back under him again. That Jesus is our faithful God. You see, our promise is life. Our promise is life with a faithful God through a faithful Jesus. And while this promise is being kept, we can too easily forget. Look at verse 23. It says, If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which Paul, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so the encouragement from Paul is to don't forget. The encouragement from Paul is to remember that you have a faithful Jesus and to remember that when you realize you've been faithless, to remember that when when you realize that you have sinned. See, when we remember Jesus' promise, we get to experience life with God. We get to experience life today. And so what I've done is taken all those attributes of God that we went through and, and just wrote that Jesus is, that Jesus is The keeper of the promise. He's the provider of the promise. He is the sustainer of the promise. The fulfiller of the promise. And Jesus is the continual redeemer of our promise. You see, God was the nation of Israel's keeper and provider and sustainer and fulfiller and continual redeemer. And the story of the Old Testament says, guess what? Jesus is ours. Because Jesus is God. God is Jesus. And just like the nation could trust God the Father, we can trust Jesus to give us life with that God. Now, if you haven't said yes to him, let today be the day you do that. And if you have said yes to him, and your faith is one of those things that you have put on the shelf, it's time to hear Jesus' voice calling you back to trust him and to walk with him. To walk with him in more faith and trust today than you had yesterday and more tomorrow than you have today. And so that's why we're adding up here on the stage. For those of you who are new, we keep adding stuff to the stage to represent uh, each, each message that we go through. And we're adding a light bulb. You know why? That's the best I could come up with this week. Right? It's to help us remember, right? Because when you're out, ha, I wish I, I tried to find one that I could just push a button and turn on. Wouldn't that have been awesome? Uh, but I didn't. So um, instead, we have a light bulb to help us remember our faithful Jesus. Let's pray. God, whew, we need to remember that you are these things today, that you are our continual redeemer, our, our faithful provider, our sustainer. Jesus, you are all these things, and so in that we walk. And I pray that that as we do that, I pray that our faith is lifted today, lifted to a Jesus who won't let us down, even when it feels like he is, lifted to a Jesus uh, who, who gives us what we need, even when we put what we need on the shelf, a Jesus who loves us, a Jesus who likes us. And so, God, may we, may we have more faith in him right now. And may that be by the power of your spirit. In Christ's name I pray, amen.